0: Today we have an unbelievable episode for you and I'm so excited to share it with you. But before we get going, I just wanted to mention to you about my book, Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas and Make Giant Piles of Money. Now, I wrote this book almost four years ago and it became a number one bestseller. And just recently, four years on, it has become a number one bestseller again. So there are a lot of people out there who are getting a lot of value from this book, and I get comments literally every day how this book has changed their lives. So I'm really excited to have done this, and I want you, if you haven't already, to go out there and pick up a copy. It is completely evergreen. The knowledge and the things that I share in it are timeless. Okay, there might be one or two programs that have changed with immigration, but the concept, the ideas, the mentality of being an expat and how all of these pieces fit together for the offshore markets, it is still applicable. So if you go to Amazon and search my name, Mikkel Thorpe, or Expat Secrets, it should come up at the very, very first. Otherwise, if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you should see some links on my website that will redirect you to Amazon in your region to pick up the book. So, Expat Secrets, if you haven't had a chance to read it, then I suggest you do now. Support the show. All the money goes back into the podcast to produce this content for you, so I appreciate the support. And if you want to be a really cool human being, do me a favor and leave a review for the book. I really appreciate it. It really helps new authors like me to sustain and pay for all of this type of stuff, so your support is definitely welcome. That's it. Enjoy today's episode. I hope you get a ton out of it, and I will talk to you soon. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is the founder and owner and managing director of Discuss Holdings Limited, a group of companies that provides investment migration, corporate, financial, and tax planning services. Discuss, based in Malta and founded in 2013, has won concessions in recent years, including ones for the Hungarian Residency Bond Program, one for the Malta Residency and Visa Program, and last year in Montenegro. Living in Hungary, he has more than 28 years of experience in the international immigration, business, and tax structuring industry. Please welcome to the show, Laszlo Kiss. Laszlo, how are you?
1: Well, I do thank you very much for the invitation. I'm honored to be with you and with the listeners.
0: Well, we're very happy to have you. Laszlo, why don't you take a couple of minutes and kind of walk us through your backstory. How did you get working in the migration services industry? Um,
1: I think it's a quite a good story. Uh, Hungary became in, um, free in 1990, where we had the first three elections. And then enormous amount of opportunities opened at, at that time. And uh, basically in 1991, uh, I saw an advertisement, somebody was advertising... Uh, catalog of services and one part was uh, company formation abroad with international tax planning the other part was how to get residency and how to get citizenship in other countries and this brochure cost three thousand hungarian forints at that time which currently i think it was just a marketing material current prices i would say that the cost is like two or three hundred u.s dollars which for a marketing material is is quite a lot to pay but I think that was one of my best investments in, in in my life, as I bought this and I said to myself that if I cannot get it better than this guy, if I cannot do it better than this guy, then I do not deserve anything from life. So what I did is that like, seriously, there's, I I still have this brochure to show me that yes, oh, there are always possibilities. Can, can
0: we name and shame? Can we?
1: Who was the original publisher? Uh, I I can't that was a Hungarian guy basically who whose name I don't even remember at that time. Uh, anyway, uh, let me say even if I remember the name, I would not, not, because then I was better. But it doesn't mean that he was dishonest. But the quality was different. Anyway, so I contacted um, several companies in uh, the United Kingdom, mainly in England, who were dealing with international tax structuring, uh, wealth pr- preservation, and, and these type of services. And we started our cooperation. Everything went well, perfectly. Everything went perfectly well. And um, around in the beginning, in uh, the middle of nineteen nineties, we have met demand mainly from Central and Eastern Europe for international residency and citizenship solutions, because of the visa problems we had to face at that time. And then. Let's say that Ukrainians, Russians, Belarusians faced even bigger problems, obviously, to get into the place where they wanted to. And that is the reason why we thought that business-wise, it might be a good place to be. And we started to offer citizenship solutions. My first citizenship sale was a Grenadier citizenship in 1998. So all in all, uh, since then, um, it was always like kind of a wave where uh, the international tax war was more important in the first decade of the uh, 2000s, but after this economic crisis in 2007 and 8, uh, several countries started to offer residency possibilities because they had to save their own economy or they had to save their own property sector. That uh, Portugal and Spain started the residency program, where for a certain amount of investment, you could get residency if you if, if you really spent half a million. uh, euros in a property and that really saved their property market and that got quite a lot of investment uh, into the property sector. And then when people started to realize, especially with the increase of wealth in China, the increase of wealth in India, the increase of wealth in Russia and in Turkey, and also what is going on in the Middle East. Then people started to really seriously think about how to do, what to do, should I move, should I get like an insurance policy, something like that. And then the whole business started to, to really increase, increase nearly exponentially. And we are now at a point where there are tens of thousands of companies worldwide offering residency and citizenship solutions.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's so amazing because, you know, we've had so many private conversations about residency and citizenship. And the thing that I love talking to you about the most is all the stories. Because, I mean, like you've just highlighted, you've been in this industry for quite a while. So, I mean, you've lived through all of these types of different things the rise and fall of some of the programs and hopefully today we'll get into a little bit of the dirt and and talk about uh, some of the good programs and maybe some of the programs that are not so good or some of the programs that have fallen off the map
1: um sure um let me give you an example of uh, how the world changes aha uh, you have to be uh, really up to date um the first and interesting that was our first case in granada the Grenada canceled its citizenship program in in 2001. After 9-11, they were kindly asked to stop the program that was the same in Belize also. And uh, the client got his passport renewed because then obviously there is an expiry date. But the next time when uh, the passport needed to be renewed, he sent it to the, uh, to the UK High Commission of Grenada and got no reply for more than a year. And he started to wonder what is going on. And then, um, because there was no answer whatsoever, he asked me to help him because I was the initial one who, who managed to get him the citizenship. So I contacted our lawyer in Grenada and we, are, we were asking what is going on. And the lady, who is a very, very good professional, very good-hearted person, not not, not, not the real business type, uh, then, then, then said that, look, we know the problem politically. Uh, there are certain people who do not like the citizenship program, so, they made the life of passport people asking for passport renewals very hard. And I said, okay, fair enough, that happens. Politically, situation changes. It's like nearly everything in life, it's waves. Sometimes you are going up, sometimes you are going down. And, uh, and then I said, okay, what can we do? And, he, and she said that, yes, of course, we could send a letter to the prime minister's office saying that if you received your citizenship legally, you became a citizen and based on a legal procedure, a hundred percent legal wide procedure, you got your passport, then as a citizen, it is your human right to have a travel document. So they have to renew it or they have to issue a new one. That is no, if, if the answer is no, or they do not have, then we go to the courts and you could be sure that we would won our case. Okay, so she sent the uh, the, the email to the uh, prime minister's office, the prime minister's office answered and said, okay, fair enough, We realized that yes, um we, passing the, we would pass the we would pass the whole matter to the passport office. And the passport office contacted the lawyer and said that yes, of course we can renew the passport, but the client has to go to Granada, which from Hungary is not that near. It is also not that near from the US, but it's double distance. So and and, and my client said, We yeah, are good friends, actually. Um said that, okay, can you come with me? Of course I can. So we went there, sat down at the at the passport office entrance uh with, with his wife. And then he was invited in and and he wanted me also to participate, but I said, no, 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 no. And I said, okay, fair enough. I hope nothing wrong would come out of it. Two and a half hours later, he came out and and said, what's happened? Well, everything is okay. I mean, that took quite long to get everything okay for two and a half hours. What's happened is that because that was the political intention at that time of not to help people to renew their passports, not to use their citizenship, they were asking about political affiliations, business contacts, and so on and so on and so on which had nothing to do with the basic fact that he was entitled to his passport because he became a legal citizen due to legal process very clearly described in in regulations and laws. So all in all, in two days time, he received his citizenship and sorry, his passport and he's still um, uh, uh, an owner of the passport and he's still a proud citizen. Since then, Grenada announced the restart of their citizenship program because the political changes again showed them that yes, this is not really a bad money. And uh, and uh, in, in in certain bad cases when the economy is not going well, but there is a big hurricane, which unfortunately in Grenada repeats itself in every ten years or so. Then they, the government could have certain funds which we could send spend on reconstruction. And that is why one of the reasons why Grenada still offers it is the they know that they need the money for the local economy. Basically, that's the main motivation in addition to asking to people to invest additional funds in the local economy, trying to create uh, jobs, trying to create educated workforce.
0: And so how long did they pause their program for then?
1: 2013 and 2001. So for 12 years, the program was uh, not... well they stopped the program and they, they they enacted a new law. So basically that was a new program. But new I program. understand okay. it because, but it's a, a government has the right to grant citizenship to anybody. They think uh, any government has the right to do that. And then if they want to change, if they change their mind, then they close the possibility that happens like in, with many businesses all over the world, which means that yes, there are many changes all the time. Restrictions lifted, um, additional possibilities, uh, granted old possibilities closing down and so on and so on and so on. So you you really have to be up to date with what is going on in the world also in this business.
0: Well, and I think it's interesting because a lot of people take their nationality, their citizenship, it becomes part of their identity, who they are as human beings. And I know that some people seem to find it offensive um, doing a citizenship by investment, paying money to become a citizen of another country. But it's so interesting because Actually, if you look at all the programs in the world, even Canada and the United States have residency and citizenship by investment programs. And they're actually some of the most popular ones in the world. We're actually millions, not millions, but thousands of people um, have gone through these types of programs and migrated to North America through them.
1: Well, that is completely correct, but. Look, if somebody doesn't like the citizenship programs, then then, then whatever you say, usually it's just really not worth the time to try to convince them that, yes, it is not just a one-way street. Um, Let me give you the example of Vanuatu. Vanuatu is in the Pacific Ocean, northeast of Australia, 180,000 people. I I, I said this also with reference to Grenada, but uh, Vanuatu is hit by a serious, serious hurricane every fourth, fifth year. Which means that there is a constant, constant need at least to just to, how should I say, I, I say, I, I use the word su- survive, but it's not survival, obviously, but really to to, to reco- reconstruct, 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 and reconstruct. And there are countries whose natural wealth is not the same as Canada or the United States or many countries in Europe or Brazil or many countries like Australia. That is the reason why Vanuatu needs this program, because this is generating a considerable amount of GDP, and they can put away the money when the hurricane will hit, and they would be able to use it. They shouldn't go begging for international aid, but they can sort it out themselves. So all in all, during the COVID crisis, even, I heard many stories where the governments, when somebody criticized their actions, they said, look, this gives us the money to survive. Otherwise, our whole economy will be ruined. So what is the problem with it? It is a legal procedure. Uh, we do our due diligence. We are checking the applicants. We try to avoid bad people. So why is the problem that for a certain economic contribution, sometimes it's donation, sometimes it's a property investment, which itself generates additional jobs. Let's say the investors are investing in a hotel project. Like in Grenada at Grand House, which is one of the most beautiful uh, beaches, I I, I love it very much. And then a big hotel is now being built, and then the foreign investors getting citizenship are financing it. They are providing uh, jobs for the construction and later on for the tourism industry. So what is the problem with it? That they are also contributing it and they get citizenship. Small countries wouldn't mind too much uh, to have that. That's my opinion. Absolutely,
0: and think about it. This is really free market enterprise. Someone is willing to pay the $100,000, in some cases up to several million dollars, for the legal rights to be a citizen of another country and have the travel document. I mean, this is a very libertarian view of things. You have, they've created a marketplace and people enter freely, and the countries are now generating revenue from it, opposed to going out there and taxing people where they have no choice. You know, I think that the citizenship by investment programs should be commended. I don't understand why people would have such problems and and hate for them. I think they really are fantastic things. And I think it's it's one of my most exciting parts of the offshore markets and the part that I like to read about the most and, and understand the most about.
1: I think I think people, have, certain people have still uh, quite old out, how should I say, an old way of thinking where they do not take into consideration the international movement of people, which is now very, very, very common basically all over the world, wherever we look. And then obviously movement of the people just doesn't mean that they just go somewhere as a tourist, but maybe they want to settle down and they might be able to get residency. So whether it's via investment, whether, whether because that receiving country thinks that they would be good city, good good people contributing to the society, that give, they give out residency permit. That's not a problem. Like in the United States where the actual green, the EB-5 program, the investors get a green card for an investment of now 910,000 US dollars. And 910,000 US dollars, OK, for the US, it's not a huge amount of money, but itself, it's not a small amount of money. So what a country does, if you look at it from the other viewpoint that, yes, they get investors, they get people who probably because of their wealth would spend enough to generate jobs and employment. And that is the reason why if you hate rich people or affluent people, then, then you would hate the citizenship granted to them or the residency granted to them. That's definitely true. Absolutely. What can we do with it?
0: So talk to us a little bit about the Vanuatu program itself. I'd love to hear some of the details and, you know, your stories of working with people going through this program.
1: Um, it is it is it was based on the model of what the Caribbean countries, the five Caribbean countries developed in the last 20-25 years and St. Kitts and Nevis started its first sorry, started its citizenship program as a first such country in 1984. So all in all this industry has now quite a long past, if I could say, because if you think it's 35 years or 36 years now, and that is um, that is not like mobile phones has less than less, uh, time frame than uh, 36 years. But anyway, so one Wanoatu copied, the, copied the, the idea of providing citizenship for foreigners, and then decided that from the two routes which usually exist in the countries, in the other countries, which is one is the donation, and one is the property investment, and obviously, when a donation is uh, given to the government, then this is pure money for the government to spend or to save. If it's a property investment, then the property investment part um, doesn't accrue as much government income. All taxes, yes, employment uh, taxes, yes, but otherwise not. So all in all, the property investment you should be always at least 1.5, two times the donation so that, yes, the government also gains something out of the property, uh, property investment. Vanuatu said, okay, we do not want a property, we want a pure donation-based system, where for 130,000 US dollars, the client is a single applicant, and then it could increase when we are calculating with other family members, then it starts at 130,000, that's an all-inclusive cost of having a citizenship of Vanuatu, and if the client is clean, the criminal background is okay, there is no, uh, there is no uh, c- criminal conviction or whatsoever, then the client, if he's not coming also from restricted countries, because I also have to say, and maybe I'm just interrupting the thought, but uh, these countries are taking quite seriously of not to allow uh, certain uh, other countries' citizens for political reasons, not to really um, uh, allow Political enemies of certain countries to, to to get citizenship and to hide themselves, and and uh, that's why in every country there is a restrictive list of nationals who shouldn't apply because they won't get the citizenship. Uh, in the case of Cyprus, for example, it's not written in a law that Cyprus uh, doesn't accept Turkish people in the citizenship program, but they are not really friends now, and they haven't been for the last uh, fifty years. So all in all, it is de facto no restricted uh, for Turkish, but otherwise uh, legally it's not written down. But it's de facto, it's it's forbidden. Vanuatu does have this policy only with five countries, which is which one, one is of course uh, North Korea, which North Korea is unfortunately not accepted any, anywhere at all. So for 130,000 US dollars fee, it's a donation so the client loses it, they could get citizenship. And the citizenship is valuable for people who are business people, let's say in China, in the Middle East, in Africa, where when they want to have any kind of business activity, they want to negotiate something to the sale of their goods or services, build up commercial relations, let's say in Europe, then they need a visa to go there as Chinese, as Turkish, as as Russians, as Africans and so on and so on. Vanuatu has an agreement with the European Union and also as member of the Commonwealth of Nations It it provides visa-free travel to the United Kingdom and to Ireland, the whole Schengen zone in uh, in Europe, which consists of 26 countries, to Hong Kong, to Singapore, and to Russia, amongst others, and there are smaller countries who, based on the Commonwealth membership, uh, you could also travel visa-free, which means that somebody who... Doesn't want to stand in a queue at the at the consulate because then time is precious and they just simply do not. They just simply want to avoid the hassle of applying for visa and and being at the mercy of a consular officer who might have who might have had a bad morning and they would say, okay, I don't like you and I, um, no no I'm not getting you a visa. And then they, they say, okay, the freedom of of travel is important for my business. It it requires a certain investment so that. Anytime my business partner wants to talk to me and I have to go to Europe, then I can get immediate on a plane and I can leave. I do not have to stand in a queue for visas. I do not have to wait. I do not have to spend like a month trying to find out whether I would receive it or not. It's immediate so I can go. Also, I can send my, student, my, my children to, to, to have an education, maybe in the European Union. There are many advantages. And if somebody makes a calculation that 130,000 US dollars as a one-off investment, for a whole lifetime because they are lifetime citizenship, and they can be also inherited, that is now 130,000 US dollars, not really the same amount of money as it was like 25 or 30 years ago. So for many people, that's a worthwhile investment uh, in their future.
0: We will just take a quick break. I am so happy to announce that the Expat Money Show is going back to weekly. When you wake up every single Friday morning, you will see a brand new episode of the show waiting for you in your favorite podcasting app. And this couldn't come at a better time, because we are about to celebrate our 100th episode of the show. And I want to do something really special for you. So what I thought might be fun is I'm going to interview myself. Mikkel interviews Mikkel, if you will. And you, my amazing audience, are going to decide on the questions. All you have to do to participate is head over to Apple Podcasts, smash that subscribe button, and leave us a five-star review. While you're there, I want you to write your question at the bottom of your review, and I will give you a shout-out and answer your question live on episode 100. Really, it's unbelievable to think that we are at almost 100 episodes of the show. So to show your love, I want you to go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, ask your question so I can answer it live on episode 100. I'm super excited about this. Thank you so much for being a listener. Okay, let's jump back into the episode. Well, I agree with all of that 100%. And something just clicked in my brain. Um, Talking about cost savings and how it might actually be of an advantage, I think for a lot of children who study internationally, if you're listed at a university as an international student, often the rates are actually changed. So I know that you know in Canada, if students come from China or come from India or Russia or things like that, they're often charged a different amount um, for their semesters than if they were uh, Canadian citizens. So you could probably make an effort, or sorry, you could probably make an argument that you're going to be able to recoup, recoup that st- some of that type of money if you were able to do a citizenship program and bring your kids along if they were going to do a full degree uh, abroad.
1: I totally agree with you and I just wanted to mention that also as a kind of an advantage. Um, let's talk about the United Kingdom whose educational system is, is loved very much worldwide. So um, there is a rule and then, okay, Still, there is a rule, we do not know what would happen after Brexit, but let's say without Brexit, everything would have remained the same, that an EU citizen or an EU resident who has been living, who had been living in the EU for more than two years, was entitled to the local rate of education. And for if you were not in those lucky people, not uh, not member of that group, then you had to pay three times as much for your education. So the savings were two thirds of the educational costs of sending one child to the United Kingdom. And let me let me just make a guess. Let's talk about a yearly cost of fifty thousand US dollars, which is not a not a huge amount of money because I am quite sure that in the UK there are higher higher cost universities. Also, um, th- the child studies at six years, right? That's a three hundred thousand US dollars. So you save if you are a European resident just by being a European resident. You save. 200,000 U.S. dollars on just one one study cost, one child, and you have two or three, and you could plan ahead, and then it is a really fabulous deal if you take it into consideration. That's that's just educational advantages which these solutions could offer. I'm completely agree that that's one big aspect because I mean, parents really care about their children, about the future of their children. And therefore, they they, they really try to help them to get the best education, the best uh, business possibilities, and so on and so on. And yes, dual citizenship, second citizenship or residency also helps them to achieve the same.
0: Well, because I think that's one of the most important things to understand is that with the citizenship, people don't do it just for one reason. Actually, there's many business reasons, many monetary reasons, and very many personal reasons for doing one of these types of programs. So often people just want to talk about the tax situation, how this will affect them tax-wise, but there's all kinds of other things that are involved that that really people need to keep uh, at the forefront of their mind if they're deciding on this.
1: Yes, don't don't forget that many of the people uh, interested in second citizenship and residency solutions are living in countries where the economic political system is much less stable than what we think that our system really is good for. And if there is a big economic, let's say there is a big political change in a certain country, unfortunately in many countries that means that people tied to the old system and maybe they are the simply genuine good people with no, no um, bad side and so on and so on. Still, they might need to run away. Because they might get they might be made as excuses for the old systems of bad wrongdoing and so on and so on. All for political reasons, nothing more and nothing less. And that means that all in all, there is a place where at least they can settle down to wait till the situation clears, their names are cleared, and then they can go back. But yes, unfortunately the legal systems of many countries are not as strong to rely on to stay back at home that yes, at the end you are innocent, so you would you would be considered as innocent. Um that is also another not very nice view of that that consideration, but still that's an advantage that yes, if we have a big political problem, big economic problem, and if I have to move, can I move at that time? Think about Syria, think about Libya, think about Iraq, of how many innocent people had to suffer because of those wars, and with the hindsight, would they... would that would that have been a very good investment if they would have invested really previously in the residency so that they can simply move and they could look at what is going on, the, on, on the, in their home country in a very sad way, but at least with the knowledge that, yes, I am at least safe, not like my friends who unfortunately stay there. And I, uh, I would say that one of the in a sense, don't misunderstand me, one of the best example to this, although it's obviously a hugely sad and very bad story of what's happened with the Jews in the Second World War. If they would have had foreign passports, they could have escaped much more easily and everybody knows what has happened. So many, many people think this way, that on a long-term basis, we think that our societies are safe enough but they might not be as safe as we think. So it is like kind of an insurance policy. If something goes wrong, at least I know where to go. And then if things settle down, then at least I, I could come back. I do not have a fire insurance policy because I want my house exactly. to burn down. But I want, if it if it happens outside of my of my power, then at least I would have something as a compensation for that.
0: Absolutely. It's insurance from a political side. I mean, this is really... There's maybe a, the argument could be made for a couple of different ways to have insurance from the political side, but this is definitely one of them. You know, Same from the economic side. If you look at things that have happened in say, well, Venezuela is probably a political side, or maybe take Argentina or one of these other countries where their economies have just absolutely crashed. I mean, the currency starts to become worthless and they can't escape, they can't go anywhere else. And if their livelihood is tied to that country, if they can't move their businesses or their profession to another country, I mean, they just go down with the ship.
1: i give you an example, uh, what happened 30 years ago, by the way, Um, quite a lot of people probably remember the first Kuwait Kuwait war, and the first Iraq war. That Saddam Hussein from Iraq simply occupied Kuwait, because then they owed so much money to Kuwait because of the previous war with Iran that they thought that it might be the best solution to get rid of that debt. Now what's happened is that they occupied Kuwait and Kuwait at that time and still is a very, very rich, one of the richest countries of the world per capita. But the United Nations so that Saddam Hussein was unable to get hold of the wealth of Kuwaitis, declared the whole embargo and freezing of assets of Kuwaitis, which meant that Kuwaitis, who had money abroad, even if they had money abroad, were unable to access their millions of dollars at that time because of the UN embargo and the UN uh, restrictions. So they had to, millionaires and billionaires had to rely on the gifts of their friends abroad to survive because all their money was frozen. And then that's bad if you think about it, if you are in a foreign country and you have no money and you have no one to turn to. Because even you have money, then you go to the bank. No, I'm sorry, I cannot make, I cannot pay out anything to you because the UN said it's frozen. That's unbelievable. That's happened. So let me give you another story, also related to that same war. That certain British um, petroleum engineers were caught in Iraq, and somehow uh, they were th- they they were nearly put into jail. And I can understand that they that reluctance to go into an Iraqi jail. And somebody. Managed to get, I think, a Rhodesian passport, which, by the way, didn't exist at that time as a country <laughs> because it became North, North Rhodesia and South uh, North Rhodesia and uh, became uh, Zimbabwe. And then they managed to get away from physical troubles, from jail and so on and so on, with the help of such a Passport or non-existent the country's document cannot be called as a passport. That that's just legal technicality. So it's a piece of document which enabled them to escape from Iraq. So that's also another reason why those those citizenships and residency permits and so on could be very worthwhile if the world is crashes around you.
0: And I'm not going to. I don't want to go into every single reason that people would want to get a second residency or a second passport, but I think that especially what is happening around the world right now, we're certainly seeing many Americans who are looking at second citizenships. And we're actually helping many people renounce their US citizenship. But people have to understand that if you want to legally remove yourself from the tax situation in the US, really the only complete way to do it is to renounce. But you can't renounce if you do not have a second citizenship. You can't be stateless. So. Although it doesn't make sense for the majority of people, for certain people it does make sense. So having that second citizenship in place is a way to actually facilitate this and move forward with uh, with renouncing
1: less restrictions than before. I totally agree. And the and the, and the system is now getting the the the, uh, the system handling the revo- uh, resignation or or a revocation of the citizenship is getting so bad that it is now very very hard to get an appointment at a U.S to renounce your citizenship.
0: Yeah, they're seeing record numbers every year. It's just gone from basically zero, maybe five, ten years ago, to now thousands upon thousands of people who are renouncing around the world at embassies.
1: A close friend of mine did a very booming business by informing US attorneys that at that time Athens was not overloaded with applicants. And then she invited those U.S. persons uh, to to, to Greece and they came and she accompanied them to the consulate and handled the legal matters and so on and so on, just because the Athens queue of U.S. persons trying to renounce their citizenship was by, by far not as long as in the United Kingdom in London. Wow. Funny.
0: And just so everybody understands who's listening today, what often happens, and I would say this is the majority of the cases, is the individual will have been born in the US and then spent the majority of their life abroad. So they could have been used, uh, they could have had American citizenship but never really lived or worked there, or had one parent who was American and then applied for citizenship. And because there's only two countries in the world that actually do taxes based on your citizenship, on your worldwide income, uh, the United States and Eritrea, that it doesn't matter li- where you live and where you work. You're actually going to be taxed in the U.S. And now with FATCA and the FBAR and the the mandatory reporting, that the IRS is really cracking down on people. You know, you can have um, a 50 year old French woman who, well, I'm, I'm thinking of one client in in particular who had U.S. citizenship but never lived there, never worked there, and then all of a start, all of a sudden starts getting. Um, letters from the irs that she owes money to the government there and needing to work through all of these things so really at the end of the day she technically is an american citizen but not really so that's often what we find is uh is helping people like this and they we call them accidental americans and i've wrote quite extensively on this on our magazine and in the blog
1: um let me give you another tax related example of why you should be careful and why it's understandable that, 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 that you think you are totally innocent, you had no intention whatsoever to avoid any kind of taxes and so on and so on, but such accidents happen, that during the coronavirus uh, crisis, quite a lot of people were stuck in a certain country and not every country was uh, understanding with taxation. And let me give you just a little bit of background. Usually, if you spend enough time in a certain country, that country would consider you as a resident. And if you're a resident and you are tax resident, if you are tax resident, you need to pay taxes on your worldwide income. And I heard stories that from Spain, the Spanish tax authorities do not care really but uh, the reason why you stayed in Spain was your, that, uh, that you enjoyed life there and you used the public services, which means that you have to pay for it via personal income taxes, but the fact that you were stuck there because there were no way out, and many countries have different rules, or sorry, rules which, which would give a, leavey, a certain leeway so that they do not enforce this residency question that yes, based on the number of days spent in that country, you might be liable for tax, but we all understand that it's not, it was not because you wanted to stay there, it was because you were not able to travel back home, and then we do not tax on your worldwide income. Spain said, I do not care, you stayed enough days in our country, so you will be taxed just by accident. And that is what I find that, uh, look, that is not really, uh, not really something which I consider as fair at all. And that is the reason why intentional movement, again, for such reasons of when the doors are closing and whether it's for an economic crisis, whether it's for a virus, whether it's for wars or whatever it is, political situation change, if you have the freedom, then it gives you a better chance to get ahead.
0: Absolutely. And I think traditionally what we've seen in the migration service industry has always been China, Russia, and the Middle East have always been the largest buyers of second citizenships. But I think that through the coronavirus, we're now seeing massive spikes of Americans who are joining in and learning about this stuff for the very first time. And there's a lot of countries who are not taking Americans right now. There's a lot of things that are going to be changing um, In travel post-COVID. So having this backup plan might make sense for you if if you are listening, if you are from Canada, the United States, because what has happened in the past of having, say, a Tier A passport from one of our countries used to be enough. But I mean, this backup plan is going to be more and more needed. And and these are just a couple of the examples uh, that we're highlighting today.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that... uh that the Second World War is an example of, yes, you have to plan. You do not know if anything would hit you, but if anything hits you, you need to have something in your head. You do not know it in advance because, and think about how the world changed in the last 40 years, and then before that, and that 40 years, and so on and so on. So in the lifetime of someone, big changes are coming up. My favorite example is that many people believe in property investments. And when I'm asking you, okay, what if you were offered a big apartment block very cheaply in 1944 in Berlin? Do you think that would have been a very good business idea or not? Because times change, situations change, political system change, economies are changing, and so on and so on. So you have to be mobile in in this respect. And this is one advantage of uh, the one one part of mobility is to have additional residency or citizenship.
0: Absolutely. So before we get into some some more of the programs, I've always been very curious, if the Major industries are places like China, and a country like this does not offer dual nationalities. How do a lot of the Chinese actually participate in these programs?
1: They don't care too much. Yeah. I think that's the I mean, sorry to say that, but it's a very, very, how to say, easy answer. Um, look, I have a feeling that, uh, and I heard also some stories, that this rule is not enforced, but the information might be used by certain governments against that person, if you know what I mean. And that is why I, I haven't heard about many cases where people from China are losing their citizenship, um, which makes me think that maybe, uh, okay, I don't take your citizenship, but help me in a, in something else type of arrangements exist rather than plain revocation of the citizenship. And also quite a lot of the Chinese who gain their citizenship cannot use the passport, of course, to leave and to enter China, because that would show that they have the second citizenship. So they go to Thailand with their Chinese passport, and with their foreign passport, they get from the flight from Thailand, and they are traveling from Thailand to the place which they would like to visit, and when they return back, they go to Thailand, and they would enter China with their own passports, because yes, theoretically, they can revoke their passports. Many countries do not allow dual citizenship by the way, but there is a big distinction if there is a rule that they would, you would lose your citizenship or it is just not permitted. Because there are many countries where it is not permitted, but there are no sanctions and are no rules against the person if that happens, meaning that basically it's a very little risk of something going wrong.
0: And I think before we've seen in history that having dual nationality was really an outlier, but I think today, in this day and age, actually, most Western countries allow dual nationality. I think pretty much all of Europe, um, certainly the United States and Canada, we all allow dual citizenship. And, and many people I know ha- do not have two citizenships. I know lots of
1: people who have three or four. One, citizenship is, is considered by governments or by countries as a kind of a tie where the people are tied to you. But again, because of this international movement in the last 30 years, it is not working anymore. And I give you an example that even Russia, who, for understandable reasons, didn't allow dual citizenship, now changed their law and, and they, they decided that, yes, it's time now to accept the fact that, yes, so many Russians left the country and they would like to come back and to get they got that US citizenship or Canadian citizenship and so on and so on. Why should it mean that Russia would be losing them as, it, as their own citizens. Rather, what's happening is that for, uh, even for countries which, which doesn't allow but do not punish the people, they say, okay, fair enough. I don't care what other citizenship you have. I consider you as mine. I mean, the, all, the, all the responsibility uh, if you are coming back. Uh, let me give you an example for that. And we, we, well, you need to calculate also very carefully with your foreign citizenship and residency also. At the end of the 1980s, uh, a lot of Jew people uh, went back to Israel because they were permitted to leave the Soviet Union at that time. But unfortunately, they had to realize when their children started to grow up that military service is also coming up for those children. So what's happened is that quite a lot of them moved back to Europe or moved to Cyprus especially for that reason of not getting their children to be uh, conscripted to the army, because that in Israel is dangerous. Also, we have inquiries from South, Earth, uh, South uh, Korea, where people with a foreign residency and living abroad do not have to serve in the army. And again, also in, in, in South Korea, it is a dangerous place to be in the army. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think you and I have a friend in common who's actually Russian and, and I won't name names here, but we have a friend in common who's Russian, who grew up overseas, even though he was born in Russia and wants to now return and, and travel and live there, but has to now go through the whole citizenship program um, to regain their citizenship. So I think that a lot of people are coming home as well.
1: Let me give you also another emotional type of, uh, of, of explanation why I do not like the, these kind of restrictions. Um, between 1945 and between 1990, Hungary was occupied. Um, it was theoretically a free country, but obviously it was a socialist country and then and and, and, and the Russian uh, army uh, had troops here. And during that period, if any Hungarian managed to get out and managed to get to the West, then they were, their, their citizenship was automatically revoked. Even though, okay, that was a political decision. So in 1990, where we had the first three elections, the question came up, what to do with the tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of Hungarians who left after the Second World War, during the Second World War, after the Second World War, and, and during this time frame? What to do with them? So when they amended the, city, the, the constitution, basically the Hungarian government or the Hungarian parliament said, okay, from now on, anybody who lost their citizenship could get it by, by simply asking, because it was a historical, uh, it's not a mistake, but how should I say it? It's a uh, injustice that they lost their citizenship. So we understand this, now we close that 40 years of communism, Let's give them the the, the citizenship which they they really had previously. And that is the reason why if you give back the citizenship to somebody, then that person should be allowed to have dual citizenship because it's one thing that you give back the citizenship to someone who went to the United States in 1956 and we had the revolution. But at the end, he got... U.S. citizenship, and then to get back the Hungarian citizenship, it will be totally foolish if he has to revoke the U.S. citizenship. So that's from that point, obviously, Hungary allowed dual citizenship or whatever number of citizenship you could have, which is totally understandable. Before that, it was only one citizenship and you could lose your Hungarian citizenship. You gain it somewhere else. How things change economically, sociologically, politically, historically, and so on and so on.
0: Absolutely. So what I want to do now is dive into some of the programs themselves. And I think probably we'll focus mostly on Europe. Um, And maybe we'll also talk about some of the good programs and some of the poor programs in the world, some of the ones that don't really make sense. So I know that you've had a lot to do with the new Montenegro program, which looks pretty exciting. Can you share any of the details about that one?
1: Yes. Uh, Montenegro is in the southeast of Europe. Um, it's a small country at the end with 650,000 inhabitants. So it's not a big country at all. But it is in the Balkans and, uh, and the economic situation is quite good. And Montenegro is one to join the European Union. And the European Union decided that, yes, we would like Montenegro to be part of the European Union. So the feeling is mutual and everybody expects Montenegro to become member of the European Union in 2025. Which means that at this moment, because Montenegro announced its citizenship program, I could get into details later on. The basic concept is that yes, you invest in the citizenship now by property investment, by the way. So all you know, you would have a property. After you get the Montenegrin citizenship now, you could travel to Europe free of restrictions to the Schengen zone, free of any restrictions. So your travel possibilities are also improving considerably. And after five years, when Montenegro would join the European Union, it's like one of the new states of Puerto Rico joining the United States. You get full citizenship and full membership of the European Union, which at the end is a very, very valuable thing, because from that point, you have a total freedom of movement between any country, settling down in any country, using the educational system of any country, using the health services of any country, so forming companies, buying property, and so on. So you get a total freedom as you become a total EU citizen with full rights, with no distinctions whatsoever. So it is like a five-year investment, that after five years you sell the property, you get the majority of your investment back, and in the meantime, you could have your full EU citizenship. And in the meantime, for five years, then you are able to, to, to enjoy the travel possibilities Montenegro. offers. So that is why, for example, that, that possibility is considered one of the best because for the five Caribbean countries or for Vanuatu, obviously they would never be able to allow EU citizenship because that is basically not possible. Free travel, yes, but citizenship, no. Montenegro is a unique situation now, but, but they would be able to offer EU citizenship in five years' time. Now, I understand that political systems and the situation could change and so on and so on and so on, but I think that uh, that the EU, EU enlargement, and that is uh, partly because of the immigrant crisis and so on, but that's another topic, let's not get into this, is Montenegro is an important country for the European Union. so. If you invest now, you invest in the future of your children who would be able to attend universities as locals in 5 years time as full EU citizens. And also your children's children, your grandchildren and so on and so on because the citizenship is inheritable.
0: Well, and I think you just touched on something really really important at the end. A lot of these investment programs it's not just for you and it's not for your kids. It's actually for your entire lineage like as As life goes on, this is really a gift that you can give to your grandkids, to their kids. You know, if we still stay under the same system going forwards, um, once they're a national of that country, it just it it goes on in perpetuity as long as we have this. So that's an important point.
1: Uh all in all, yes, that that is definitely true. That uh, that again, this is an investment not only in your in your own life, in your own future, but for your general, for your uh, for your children, for your grandchildren. Sometimes you could, or not sometimes, uh, nearly always you could include also your parents in the application if they are dependent on you. Meaning that all in all, a big family can be part with one payment, with little additional cost could be really the same uh, same family members. They could be a part of the same family enjoying all these advantages, not just for the main applicant and maybe for the wife.
0: Well, and then the other big thing is that, and in, in this is specific to Montenegro, is that most likely the cost of the citizenship by investment program is going to go up in five years when they actually are a full EU member. Because if you look at citizenship by investment in a place like Malta, the price point is just much higher.
1: I think that the Montenegro program is well-priced. In Malta, if I calculated the total cash layout, discounted and so on and so on, you, for a full member family, you have to spend more than a million euros. I mean, Malta suspended its program, or in fact, a new program is coming, but the old one uh, accepted the last applications in July, by the way. So all in all, in Malta, you needed one million euros, and that was money gone. That was like a contribution to uh, a state fund, you will not get anything back, That, but you receive the citizenship, of course. In Cyprus, which is another country, European country, offering the citizenship, you have to invest two million at least in a property, and you have to donate 200,000 to two uh, to different entities. So compared to that, the fact that in, in, in Montenegro you have to buy a property with a minimum of 250,000 euros and you have to donate 100,000 plus additional small charges, that is like 40%, 30% of what you need to pay to Malta and around 15% of what you need to pay to Cyprus. Okay, in Cyprus and in Malta, you get the immediate EU citizenship, but the difference is quite well compensates you for getting the fact that you get the EU citizenship, the full EU citizenship in five years time. That's why I think it's a uh, well-priced product. And yes, if the program would exist in five years time, which obviously there is no guarantee whatsoever, but we hope so, then it would be definitely, the amounts would be increased to compete with other European solutions.
0: Absolutely. And we are doing a ton of writing about Montenegro on the Insiders magazine that I encourage you guys to check out. And this is going to be a shameless plug. Laszlo is actually a writer for us. He's a a contributor um, on some of these articles for migration services. So if you go to escapeartist.store, you'll be able to find the magazine and subscribe there. But definitely we're doing a lot of research, really looking closely at Montenegro because I think it's such an exciting program and a country that's really on its way up.
1: Uh, I also would like to add that what is quite often is not not, not investigated uh, thoroughly that Montenegro, because of its accession procedure, has to satisfy different EU rules. Some of them are good, some of them are not considered as such good. But it creates a demand for certain services, like advisors. Uh, It it requires uh, quite a lot of uh, expatriates to go to Montenegro for this special five-year period and maybe after one or two years to stay there to have the country, to have the, com- to have the companies to really satisfy the conditions to affect the changes. And all in all, they have their own families. So you need, for example, English-speaking schools for your children. You need serviced offices. You need office blocks. So all in all, there are many other business possibilities during that 5 year f- time frame because montenegro is a small country but it's not as small as like the vatican so the business possibilities in montenegro are quite good because frankly speaking the country is not as developed as any other uh, european uh, union member meaning that yes the business possibilities if somebody wants to really move there not just to use the citizenship for travel purposes or just to have it as an insurance policy would find very very good business possibilities in telecom infrastructure, in certain business services. So all in all, it's also a good place to invest now because if they want to join the EU, they have to change the rules and regulations, and that means changes, and you need experts to handle those changes also.
0: Absolutely. What can you tell us about Turkey? I know Turkey is another relatively new program that's kind of getting a lot of publicity lately.
1: Uh, In all these conversations, I have a choice whether I, uh, I can be politically correct or maybe I just tell the truth and- Please tell the truth. <laughs> yeah, you are making en- enemies of yours. <laughs> I know, I know. St- still business-wise, I might create, how should I say, adverse conditions for ourselves. But, okay, let me, re- let me phrase it this way. Um, the Turkish citizenship is very good for people who want to move to Turkey But because Turkey doesn't have, let's say, visa-free travel to Europe, to Canada, to the United States, to the United Kingdom, what is the actual value of a Turkish citizenship? It's 250,000 US dollars property investment only. So if you want to invest in the property, like in the Caribbean, if you want to invest in a property in those five countries offering, then maybe you get the citizenship free of charge it's like a present from the government if you invest in it in turkey basically the same situation applies you invest 250,000 in a seaside property good location and the property market for those investments are now giving you very very good offers by the way then you get the turkish citizenship why not but anyone who wants travel possibilities would find the turkish citizenship as useless business wise the advantages of being Turkish, maybe possibly struggling with foreign exchange controls, possibly struggling with military conscription and some other things of life which are not advertised as heavily, maybe Turkey might not is not the best choice to move If you want to move to turkey then it 's okay. but if you do not really want to move to Turkey, I do not see the big advantage you just had. Uh, quite a lot of Chinese are, are uh, being sold. Turkish citizenship, I'm not so sure they really know exactly what they get and how much is the value of it. And in addition to owing the property, which is a good property, what else do they receive by Turkish citizenship, which is not the same for other countries. So I have a, a little bit of doubt with the, with the value of the Turkish citizenship of the people, not considering that yes, Turkey is surrounded by countries which are politically not as stable, so it is a natural urge of those countries' citizens to get into Turkey and to get citizenship. Sometimes good guys, sometimes bad guys.
0: Now that makes sense. And I think that these are important things to keep in mind is really the reasons that you want this. Like you said at the beginning, if you want to live in Turkey, if you want to invest there, if you want to do business there, if you have a specific reason, then obviously this might make sense for you. But if you're looking for a backup plan or just as an additional travel document, maybe Turkey is not the best option.
1: With foreign exchange controls, with the economy heights going, with the military service and so on and so on and so on, I'm not so sure really that that, that is, okay, if you, have, if you really want to move, that's okay. Otherwise, I'm, I'm not really sure that that's a very best idea for someone.
0: What about some countries like Bulgaria? I know they've kind of had an on-again, off-again citizenship by investment program, and it's kind of difficult to figure out what is exactly happening over there. What's been your experience?
1: Let me give you a kind of a professional assessment of why I feel that the Bulgarian system is not as good. The citizenship programs are usually offered by small countries. Okay, Bulgaria is not a very big country, but it cannot be considered the same as, let's say, the Caribbean countries of Vanuatu. And there, the advantage of having a citizenship donation-wise or property investment-wise are very clear to the local population. Now, in Bulgaria, you were able to invest in government bonds. And if you multiply the government bond investment to get residency, and if you multiply the, double the government bond investment, then you gained uh, uh, citizenship after less, in less than two, two years' time. But I'm questioning what is the actual advantage for Bulgaria to give out citizenship by simply investing in government bonds. The government bonds can be sold all over Europe, all to investment advisors. The rating is good. So all in all, I see no real advantage for Bulgaria to do that. And that's totally different from a small country getting quite a lot of money to, to, to put it into reserves. And therefore, the Bulgarian system was not really developed in a way which was in total acceptance with the society that they understand the advantages, because the advantage okay, there is another buyer who buys 1 million euros of government bonds. I mean, hedge funds are buying 100, 100 million government bonds if they feel that it is well-rated and, and, and the yields are, are not so bad. So all in all, I, I saw that there is no such attachment to the economic values or economic interest or the additional economic uh, wealth which is generated. And that is why as soon as there was a case where uh, certain immigration people were arrested and so on and so on, it's a funny story, by the way, what what is going on all over the world? Because you find when you when you sell some, something which is valuable, obviously the organized crime people also try to think how to how to get that money also, and then and immigration sometimes, especially if it's not a well clearly defined legal solution, then then uh, certain things would happen. Now quite a lot of people were arrested, and then the EU also started to act like the Bulgarian city, uh, Bulgarian citizenship possibility, and now Bulgaria has two quite conflicting proposals on the table at the parliament of which solution to take for the citizenship program. And my problem is, what should I tell to my clients? If we start the whole procedure, what would happen in three-month time? What would happen in six-month time? Would the investment, which I would do in two-month time, would even be, be still valid? Would it be really good? Or maybe the law would change because then, yes, they announced that the law would change. which way, how it would be changed. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just overcautious. But I do not like the situation where you cannot plan in this kind of business at least half a year or a year ahead where you file your application, it takes nine months, and then you have a feeling that you have 95 or 99% probability that the system remains the same. So all in all, at the end result, you get what you paid for. In Cyprus, it takes nine months to get the citizenship. I'm quite sure that Cyprus needs the money that much that the system will not really change. This is what I can tell the clients. Change could happen anytime, but in Bulgaria, the change, the possibility is much bigger than in Cyprus, for example. That's why it is a riskier proposition to start it now. Professionals from Bulgaria, obviously, do not agree with it, which I fully understand. That is only strictly based on my professional opinion about the advantages and disadvantages those programs mean to the home country.
0: Well, and Laszlo, you're one of the main people that I speak to and ask questions when I'm learning about these programs, so I definitely
1: trust your opinion don't 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 investigates research, not a problem if somebody disagrees with me professionally with no emotion style, I have no problem to say that well, those two laws are not that different from each other, so that is, and then maybe I'm wrong that is I'm sorry, just as a sideline in the in the nasdaq boom in nineteen ninety nine I also read quite a lot of bulletin boards about small stocks, obviously, and then I, I still do remember that made a big impression on me that i read mm-hmm. one guy's remarks about uh, about stocks when he when he put up something and uh, there was a uh, last line of his of his contribution was always and i might be wrong and this this applies also to my opinion i might be wrong with the perception i have with bulgaria i think i i have my reasons But I'm more than happy to talk to any professional about that, by the way.
0: So, and then I guess really what you're saying is not that the bonds themselves could turn to junk and go to zero. It's really more that the bonds might not qualify the person for citizenship down the road, that the laws might change.
1: Well, basically the advantage in the society, if somebody invests in government bonds, is not really considerable. So why should they give out? citizenship which is by the way an emotional matter also that my ancestors for a thousand years have been part of this nation i'm a proud person belonging to that country while somebody just buying government bonds could get the citizenship that concept quite often comes up politically also when somebody wants to attack those citizenship programs and because there is no other advantage for the country just somebody buys the government that's why i think that yes these kind of feelings are increasing in bulgaria also
0: Makes sense. So we kind of started off with a really fantastic program, talked about some mediocre ones. I want to go really downhill now. What can you tell us about things like Cambodia, Jordan? Beautiful countries. I understand. Lovely people. I'm not commenting on that, but on their citizenship by investment programs.
1: Um, yes, you are completely right. In fact, I wanted to mention Jordan, Egypt, and, and, and Cambodia. They all offer 100% legal. Solution to get citizenship, to give citizenship and for someone to obtain citizenship. My only question is what is the advantage you gain? Okay, you have a second passport, but do you want to move to Jordan to live? Do you want to move to Egypt to live? Do you want to move to Cambodia to live? You could do, let's say, as a US citizen, you could do that. If you do not want to renounce your US citizenship, you could go and you just live there as your own citizenship. Do you trust the local bank system to keep your money there? Do you really trust the economic situation for your considerable interest to become as a citizen and affect quite a lot of investment? No. Do you have any kind of travel advantages when you own that citizenship? If you are a citizen of that country, for Jordan, for Egypt, for Cambodia, no. In fact, if you are an Egyptian or a Jordanian, that makes your life harder than if you, for example, are a citizen of Vanuatu, where you could go to the consulate and you could say, okay, fair enough. You are not a, as a Vanuatu person citizen, you are not a danger. For Egypt, for Jordan, who knows what would be the consideration for you when you apply for a visa. So and I do not see any kind of real advantage for someone to apply because are they very safe places, economically, historically, uh, for investments and so on and so on? I'm not so sure. And that is why there is not, they announced their programs, Jordan, I think had like 13 successful applications in the last two years or so. I mean, professional people know that, okay, what's the advantage? And the answer is, mm, mm, and basically you cannot easily give any kind of advantage. If there is no advantage, why spend, in Cambodia, you have to to pay a, a half a million US dollars. Well, half a million dollars eh, you get in a Caribbean citizenship for a whole your family for any any grandparents grandmothers and so on and so on and so on and it's well known nobody raises and uh, for Cambodia half a million that's also overpriced So, only no nobody nobody's taking it that's the truth
0: yeah I was I was quite surprised when I was reading about these different countries. Um, the price points on them, I th- I would have thought like a Cambodian citizenship would be cheap, cheap, cheap. And I saw the price points, and I was like, I can go and get <laughs> Europe for less money than this. Um, and I mean, as a travel document, it is very poor. Like I said, beautiful country, lovely people. I've been through there myself, but I mean, as a travel document... I don't think so.
1: I mean, if you get, for example, Maltese residency where you have to invest 250,000 euros into government bonds, for the whole layout, you pay nearly half less than in Cambodia. Okay, you do not get citizenship, but you could travel within the European, uh, within the Schengen zone, and sooner or later, if you leave there, you could get the citizenship. Uh, That is... That is for half of the amount which you, which you invested, sorry, which you lose in, 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 uh, in Cambodia because in Malta, it's government bonds, so you get the money back after five years. In Cambodia, you lose the whole half a million dollars. It doesn't make sense to me at all.
0: And then finally, I really want to pick your brain about the Comoros Islands because you and I have talked privately multiple times about this. And it's a very interesting story. Um, what happened with their citizenship by investment program?
1: Um, first of all, let's find out where the Comoros is, because then not many people know, in fact hardly anybody knows the country. It's northeast of South Africa, not very far from Madagascar uh, in the Indian Ocean. It is one of the poorest places in Africa or in the world. And uh, certain people approached uh, with the uh, with the idea of having a citizenship program. Who were those people? Uh, Another historical thing is that in the Arab Peninsula, which belongs to Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, uh, United Arab Emirates, Oman, Bahrain and and Qatar, then the Bedouins were the people who have been really living there in the deserts for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And uh, they didn't care too much about how the political systems change. They didn't care about borders. They didn't care about any kind of economic system. They had their life was basically the same for the last two, three, four hundred years. Now, the situation obviously in the last 50 years definitely changed because of the wealth generated by those countries. And because of the fact that those countries wanted to defend their own economies and they wanted to, 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 to affect some restrictions. So when the United Arab Emirates in 1971 uh, became independent, and they decided, yes, now everybody who thinks that he has been living or she has been living here and could claim citizenship, he would investigate, and if the and and if the answer is yes, then you would get citizenship. Fair enough. And the Bedouins didn't care too much because they thought that they would be moving in the desert as it as it was before for hundreds of years. Now the problem is that the economies, the societies grew so well and advanced so much that for certain public services, now the fact that you are a stateless person because the Bedouins remain stateless because they do not belong to any country, unfortunately meant a problem because technically, for example, they were not able to prove their citizenship. They had no residency permit. That's why they were stateless. So all in all, when they applied, for example, for a job, they had trouble. When they wanted to have a rental agreement, they had trouble. When they wanted to open a bank account, they had trouble because that documentation was naturally the one which is required by many countries of laws, like in the United Arab Emirates and in Kuwait, and so on and so on. And everybody was scratching their head on what to do with the Bedouin. So somebody came up with, with, from Kuwait with the idea of, okay, let's find a country where, for a certain set of money. Kuwait and the Arab Emirates, United Arab Emirates paying for the citizenship of those people could offer them citizenship. I think that the going rate was twenty-five thousand or thirty thousand U.S. dollars. I don't think yeah, that it was, was, the exact it
0: was around thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars apiece, and I mean they were doing thousands of these, thousands,
1: thousands. Yes, definitely, and unfortunately, the money didn't really go to the public budget of the Comoros, if I can very nicely express myself. And that means that quite, quite soon, the political opposition started to question why do we need it, where is the money, why the Comoros is not being developed by those money, because even if it's 25 or 30,000, if you multiply it by a thousand, it's 30 million, 50 million, 100, 000, 100 million US dollars, which for a very poor country is a lot of money for infrastructure improvement, for electricity, for water, for sewage. We take so many things and grant to ourselves that we, we never think that, yeah, having a full working electricity system is a big jump in a less developed country to become a developed country. Anyway, so all in all, then political attacks came, and quietly, then the whole possibility, if we call it as a program, we could call it as a program, it was not really a program, then unfortunately it had to be closed because so much money disappeared. Uh, from the money contributed by Kuwait and the Emirates uh, to the Comoros society or people, let's put it this way. And since then, those uh, passports are not renewed. And then that, that the Comoros is in our business is considered like a kind of a fraudulent system. People are still offering Comoros citizenship, and all of them fraudsters without any exceptions, because this does not exist at all.
0: Well, I think that it's such an interesting topic, too, because, I mean, I was in the Middle East. I I lived in the UAE for almost 10 years. I believe, Laszlo, you're also a resident of the UAE, right?
1: Uh, we have our office there, so we have fairly extensive business operations there, yes, that's true.
0: It's just such a crazy situation to think about what happened because I've read and learned all about it. And like I said earlier, we've had a bunch of conversations about what happened between the different countries. And I'm, my goodness, it reads like a spy novel between these different governments and the <laughs> corruption. And it's just such a wild thing. Um, I encourage my listeners to go, if you like history, if you if you like to geek out on these types of things like I do... Go in and read about what happened with the UAE and with the Bedouins and the stateless population and how they were forcibly moved and, and purchased citizenship. It's a really wild, wild thing. But I think this also brings up an important other part, and, and that's what you touched on at the end, that right now there are many hucksters out there claiming to do citizenship for different countries. I mean, you have, for lack of a better word, like a white passport, a gray passport, and a black passport. A white would be doing it through the official channels, and a black would be having a completely fake one. And then, of course, you have those gray passports where you know someone is bribing someone. So it might be an actual passport, but it's not necessarily a citizenship that it's gone through the legal channels that you're registered there. It could just be someone's aunt or they bribed someone who works at the at the office to go in on their off day and create a passport. You have to be really careful about what you're getting when you do any type of program. Make sure that you're doing a lot of research on the government website because these, these are all laws. These are not, um, there's, there's no black and white on these types of things. They either exist, the program exists, you should be able to research it yourself. And then also being making sure that you're doing a lot of research on the service provider yourself, you know, on on that person and their reputation and their longevity in the space, because I would never want to hear, I would never want to hear about anyone listening to this episode or the other episodes that we've done on citizenship, just going out there and thinking that they can get a bigger, better deal and end up working with a fraudster who, you know, takes their money or puts them into a program that doesn't really exist. And they either get nothing or they get something that is against the law.
1: Uh, yes, I fully agree with you, and I have to. I forgot to indicate one very important aspect of what what we are doing and what we offer to our clients. Very, very often, I also make the tr- the, the, the mistake of calling the citizenship as getting a passport, while and it's a legal distinction, but an e- extremely important distinction. Probably you remember my story about my friend in Grenada who had a problem with renewing the passport the reason why he was entitled to the passport renewal was that he legally became a citizen not by bribing somebody and not by doing something st- stupid or fishy but because he became legally so it was his human right to have a passport while if you have the black solution of of course you just get a false passport so you know that is that is not the business obviously we want to be in with the gray solutions, let me give you an example, you have a kind of a risk, not just a client, but you also have a risk and that's the reason why we are not talking not, we are not offering any kind of grey solutions. and I tell a story which includes uh, Paraguay because very often we see also in our business we see offers that Paraguay citizenship in half a year's time or three month time, Costa Rica, Honduras and so on and so on and so on. And what always happens is that uh, there is a rule that for, you have to be a resident of the country for two years or three years to become a citizen. You have to pass a language exam, but very often the language exam is, is, is uh, not an actual exam, but you have to convince the judge making a judgment on your citizenship application whether you speak enough or not. And for example, in Paraguay, there was a lady who was very professionally operating the system, efficiently and so on and so on. And they just simply backdated the entry stamp into the passport. So let's say, I think that in Paraguay it was two years residency. So what they did if somebody went there? Okay, fair enough. I have a good con- contact. I, I do not like this. I have good connections. I, when I hear it from somebody, I, I personally do not like this expression at all. I have good connections, so I I can arrange to enter into your passport, a stamp which says that you entered two years ago. Well, okay, why not? This was the usual answer. Okay, then in two months' time, we could go to the judge and then you could apply for citizenship and you could get it. And interestingly, the judge holding those cases related to the lady and we, and with her business basically always accepted the knowledge as suitable in spanish for the applicant now there was a disagreement with certain payments because usually there is a disagreement with those payments for whatever various reasons and unfortunately she was arrested the whole system crumbled and but many people who try to think or try to use these services do not think it carefully that okay then Anybody probably who's this lady was working with, anybody who, he, who she had, anybody where the same judge was making the citizenship oath and the, and, 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 and the, and the uh, conversation would be probably suspect. So they could draw the Paraguay tax authorities and authorities could draw a very long list of people who are suspicious. And I do not advise anybody to be on a suspicious list. Probably they were rightly put that person onto the suspicious list because then probably they just forged or tried, they bribed somebody to forge the documents. And then basically what are your rights? I tell you also another story why it is dangerous. In in, in Panama, Noriega, which was the old ruler in 1980s. Some of them probably remember Noriega. Then he gave, passports to several people i think it was a number of 300 or 400 at that time he as a president of panama was legally permitted to do so but then when he was booted out or in fact he was caught by us troops and was brought to the uh, united states because of money uh, laundering and, and drug dealings and so on and so on people in panama started to scratch their heads on what to do with those people who got the panamian passports from noriega because that was legal and somebody uh, 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 well-thinking bureaucrat said okay the answer is very very simple those people started to come into the passport offices and said that okay fair enough i would like to renew my passport of course not a problem whatsoever for that we need your current passport and your birth records if you are a panamian or a certificate of naturalization if you were naturalized later on and obviously they Because then they were—I mean, Noriega was not a fool—but they were not doing it professionally. They forgot to record those persons in the national register of citizens. Noriega could have done that himself because he could have instructed that okay for extraordinary uh, contributions, then those people should become. Panamian citizens, let's put them into the official records, let's throw the necessary certificates, let's do the paperwork properly. No, he didn't care too much, obviously, because he was not the type to care too much about those niceties. So those people who thought that they got their passports from the big boss legally, ah, well, unfortunately, the passport was not renewed because they had no citizenship certificate in their hands and they were not officially, legally registered in the citizenship registry. You might think this is a small matter, but at the end, For my friend in Grenada, he had to show the citizenship certificate to see that, okay, then I am entitled for the passport, right? And the answer was yes. Basically, that was the answer. For Paraguay, no, because they were not registered. In Panama, they were not eligible for the passports. This type of day solutions always have this kind of a risk that, yes, the passport will not be renewed if the citizenship was obtained in a partly or fully fraudulent way. Exactly.
0: It's all about the citizenship itself. Because even if you lose the passport, I mean, you can go out and get another passport. The passport is just a book. The citizenship is your actual legal rights. Those are the things that you need to focus on. So be very mindful of anyone who just says that we can get you a passport.
1: Sometimes I also make the mistake of saying that, and then I usually usually try to, no, no, okay, from, again, I'm making a mistake. We are offering you legal citizenship possibilities where you would become 100% legal, white, white, a citizen of the, of the country, basically in a guaranteed way if your past is clean and you didn't have any kind of problem with the police before. Brilliant.
0: So what are some of the other good programs that you like in Europe at the moment? Do you like Spain? Do you like Greece? Do you like Portugal? Do you like Moldova? What are the residency and citizenship programs that you like over there?
1: Um- Basically, I think I, I covered Malta, Cyprus and Montenegro, which are the three countries which are offering citizenship programs, because the, the others you mentioned have only residency programs, or Moldova has officially stopped the citizenship program, which was operative I think for four months or five months only. Um, that's also a, a story of political changes coming up and the new political rulers of the country said that we do not want the citizenship program and basically at the end they stopped it and so all in all, I think 17 or 15 people got their citizenship in Moldova and it doesn't exist anymore. All the other possibilities are residency solutions where you get a residency permit and if you stay enough time in that country and if you have ties to the local society then you could claim citizenship after a certain the certain years which are clearly defined in the citizenship laws of that country. There are four or five countries, uh, in fact, okay, six which operate programs and when I'm talking about programs that typically means that very clearly set guidelines, laws which say if you are clean, which you could prove with a clean police certificate, and you satisfy these conditions then you are guaranteed to receive the permit that's why that, that's my definition of a program by the way in Greece you have to invest 250000 euros in property you it is renewable but you if you keep this amount invested in property the residency permit would be renewed in in portugal uh, you have to invest uh, oh that's a complicated system half a million 400,000,
0: It's about 400,000 euros, and then it's a discount if you do in a heritage zone, and then there's another discount if you go in an unpopulated area, like outside of Lisbon and things like that.
1: Yes, and and why would you want to invest in a property in a place which is not not developed at all because your resale after five years where you could sell the property, then unfortunately, probably you will not get a good price for it. But anyway, so it is 350,000, which is the most commonly used amount for investment. In Spain, it's half a million, In Portugal, I forgot to mention that you have to spend, oh sorry, in Greece you do not have to spend any number of days in Greece to keep the permit. In Portugal you have to spend, in a little simplified way, a week every year in Portugal to keep the permit. In Spain you do not have uh, such a requirement but you have to invest half a million euros while Malta also has a residency program, different residency programs, but the most commonly used requires you uh, uh, investment in government bonds of two hundred and fifty thousand for five years. And in Malta, you get an immediate permanent residency valid for for life. So all in all, that is is for the time being is the only one which gives permanent residency instead of the residency. In Portugal, you could apply for permanent one after five years. In Greece, basically, if you do not live there, you cannot. Uh, In Spain also, it's very hard. Switzerland, which is not part of the European Union but still a still a European country, also offers a possibility. Where for a fixed amount of tax to be decided with negotiations with the tax authorities, you could get residency. But the amounts on a yearly level are now nearing two hundred thousand Swiss francs. And you need and you need to 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 live in Switzerland twelve years to get citizenship. And if you multiply, then it's possible. Yes but it is a very expensive proportion, proposition.
0: Well, and then I know Austria also has a program, but I mean, the price point on Austria is exorbitant as well.
1: Um, Austria has a residency possibility. Unfortunately, the, the, most, the, the most convenient program where you have to just to prove that you are self-sufficient, so you will not be a burden on the Austrian economy, accepts 300 applicants only. So if you cannot get into an Austrian consulate on the, on the 2nd of January, unfortunately you will not get the permit because in the first days it's completely sold. So all you know you cannot get. And Austria also offers for people who contribute to the, to the economy, to the society, the range of 5 million euros cash to the government or cash to the local municipality for the upkeep of a museum or a serious invest rather a donation to a noble cause, then that is the range for 5 million euros you could get Austrian citizenship. But at the end, uh, there is no guarantee in this respect. It's quite a lot of negotiations and so on and so on. So this is also something which is available, but on a very, very high level. In Malta, you could get the same for a million donations. So all in all, and that is that is guaranteed, and that is available. so so all you know, why would anybody pay five times with getting basically the same right? Um, united King, United Kingdom also operates a residency program which is quite well known where for a 2 million pound sterling investment in, in, in bonds, you would be able to get residency. And if you need increase that amount to 10 million pounds sterling, then you, you could get a, a much shorter residency period after which you could apply for permanent residency and citizenship. So all you know, the UK is also part of it, but not part of the European Union like Switzerland. Uh, so it, it is not a European Union registered program. Those are the main availability of programs. Um, I am not a big fan of the Spanish residency uh, program, just as a comparison in Greece is 250,000, in Spain half a million. Maybe remember my previous story about how the tax authorities in Spain for the people who unfortunately were stuck in Spain, uh, interpreted the laws very strictly. So all you know, you you could have a big tax obligation. Also Spain says, and this is really how they treat people that if you, Put your family in Spain. You do not spend much time in Spain because you are a business person traveling back and forth. Still, they could consider the economic interest, the center of your economic interest in Spain, then you would be, again, liable for worldwide taxation. So when tax is a consideration, you have to be very careful with Spain. And if you love football or soccer, then you know that quite a lot of foreign players nearly went, even Messi, even Ronaldo, nearly went to jail because of the tax planning possibilities which they were sold to them in Spain, which the Spanish tax authorities and later the courts found obviously illegal. So all in all, even those people had a problem with the tax authorities, which means that maybe Portugal, which offers a special tax advantage system, could be a better choice than uh, than Spain.
0: Well, and then on that, I have a funny story, is... Maybe a couple of months ago, I had a Portuguese property developer reach out to me and wanted me to send some clients his way and then told me that he's going to be starting in on Spain and building new properties there and wanted to send residencies. And I was like, oh, I'm not so sure about it. And he's like, yeah, I don't understand why people don't really like the Spanish program. I'm like, are are you serious? You you haven't looked into the reasons that people don't really care for the Spanish program? Go look at the tax situation there and how that affects people who move there.
1: True enough. Yes, that, that that's important consideration. Nearly in every program, do you take an additional tax liability or you could use that country for tax advantages? That's a very important consideration to decide before you start the whole procedure, obviously.
0: Because it's not just the cost of the citizenship or the investment on the front end. I mean, it's the taxes on the back end. You might be able to get a program that's only... I don't know, I'm going to make up a number, say $200,000. But I mean, if you're paying now 30% taxes on the back end on your worldwide income, it can be a lot more expensive opposed to another country that you might walk into and it might be higher on the front end, you're going to end up paying less on the back end. So you have to be very mindful about which program you choose.
1: Or in fact, let me, I do not want to have the impression that I'm talking about our company or myself professionally, but we always try to get, many aspects into consideration like for example what they forgot in Cyprus in 2013 when they started the citizenship program about the military service. That that for a citizenship program to be really well done you shouldn't have a military service for the citizens. And Cyprus for military service is not really as safe as many other countries because at the end, the country or the, or the island is still divided by Turkish and Cypriot parts, Greek Cypriot parts. So all in all, that was a question which they never thought about considering initially. And then somebody reminded, look, as a professional, I have to, here is the checklist, military service, yes or no? And the answer is yes. Ah, oh, this is not a good thing. What about my, my, my child? What about my, my son? who is 16 year old, what's what happened in two years time? And then Cyprus needed to have a clarification that no, those people shouldn't serve in the army. So they solved it, but initially nobody thought about this except if they would have asked any kind of professional would have said that, that, okay, this one needs to be investigated. Is it a yes or no? If it's a yes, then change it. Well, a ton of things to consider.
0: Laszlo, thank you so much for your time today. Um, anybody who is really interested in the things that Laszlo was talking about, especially the Venuatu, I know that his upcoming article in *Insiders* Magazine at escapeartist.store is going to go in depth about the Venuatu citizenship, lay out all of the numbers, and you're really going to be able to see if this makes sense for you. So I encourage you guys to check that out. Laszlo, as I said, thank you so much for being a guest on today's podcast. If my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to get a hold of you, where can we send them?
1: Um, first of all, I'm honored to be with you. It was a very fascinating conversation. I love my stories, and I, I, I love to share my experiences with anybody who, who is thinking about this, trying to help in this respect. Um, you could reach me. Uh, our company is called Discuss Holdings Limited, D-I-S-C-U-S with one S holdings dot com. That's our website address. And the, uh, the email address, which I would suggest to you, is info at Discuss Holdings, D-I-S-C-U-S, com, And I will be more than happy to answer your questions. I cannot promise that the answers would be always positive, but at the end, I will be telling you the truth and my honest professional opinion I try to give to you. This is, I can promise.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Lezo, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay.
1: Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you.
0: Hey everyone, I just wanted to remind you to visit expatmoneyshow.com and sign up for my private newsletter, EMS Pulse. Right now, we are sharing the weekly episodes from the podcast, but also a ton of other products and services that we're gonna be offering, lots of language programs, lots of tips and tricks for being an expat, whether you're a first time expat or an expat hopeful. There's just so much going on at expatmoneyshow.com. I really hope that you get a chance to come and visit us, join the newsletter, and then from there, maybe join our Facebook group at expatmoneyforum.com. Lots happening, I really wanna share it with you guys, and the best way to stay connected is through these two sites expatmoneyshow.com and expatmoneyforum.com. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels.